Well, happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there and in here. And uh, good to have you. Uh, do want to have a few prayer requests before we get into the message. <clears throat> Continue to pray for my mother. She did get to come home from the hospital and uh, she sent me a photo this morning. Looked like she had on her Easter outfit, hat and all. So, uh, be, continue praying for her that she uh, continues feeling better. Remember my cousin Angela Bowman having some health issues. Would like your prayers. Also remember Martha Roberts. She is the sister of my brother-in-law Wayne Zachary. Uh, she Martha has cancer. And then uh, of course remember our missionaries. We have the Sauter family in Zambia, Africa. We've got the Blands down in Costa Rica and in the Marshalls over in Australia. So remember our mission family, and, and I have updated our mission books with all the latest uh, mission letters. If you've not read those, then that book's down there, and you can get it out and look at it. And uh, so remember all these in your prayers. Remember me, I started getting sick yesterday and still not quite better today, so having a lot of stomach issues. But you pray the Lord will help me and uh, we'll get through this message and and this day. And uh, Now typically I like to preach a Mother's Day message for Mother's Day, but uh, however this morning it's not going to be a Mother's Day message. So if you were expecting that, I apologize, but uh, just not where the Lord led me. So uh, we're going to be looking in 1 John chapter 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 5, be taking our text. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Lord willing, however, the emphasis is going to be down on verses um, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, really, it'll be where we'll get our emphasis from. Uh, Tile the message is more than these three are one. These three are one. Uh, let's go ahead and read our text. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave his Son. And this is the record that God has given us to eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Please help us now as we try to preach. May you receive any glory from it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
the writer of the epistles of first, second, and third John is, of course, uh, John the Apostle, one of Jesus' disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, he called himself. Uh, John actually pinned down uh, five books of the Bible. Of course, the Gospel of John, which we're currently in a sermon series with. We'll probably get back in that next Sunday. Uh, this first, second, and third John, the epistles here, uh, the, the Gospel of John was written for those so those could get to know who Christ is. That was the purpose of it. These epistles are written for those that are saved so that we may know that we're saved. And then he wrote the book of Revelation, or the, the Apocalypse, as it's also called. And uh, that's written to reveal to everyone Jesus Christ. And in fact, that word there, Revelation, actually means to reveal or to unveil. So it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's the purpose of uh, the Revelation. So these five books, John was the human penman. God is the author of the Bible. I've said this many times. God's the author of the Bible. But these men that were inspired by God through the Holy Spirit pinned down these words. And so John, uh, a lot of things that we understand about salvation comes from the writings of John. Um, here in our opening text in 1 John, in verse 7 there, uh, 1 John 5 and 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. All right, so I told you I titled the message, These Three Are One. Uh, we're going to be looking at a few things. I'm not going to go into great depth and detail today like I, I sometimes do, but I am going to cover a few things out of this, such as the Trinitarian doc doctrine, which is what we believe. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, all being uh, uh, individual persons, but all in one. And so that's kind of what the message is centered around. These three are one. Uh, the number three, we'll look at some of Bible numerology concerning the number three. And uh, then we're going to look at uh, what, what could possibly be the meaning of the water and the blood, as John describes here in this text. So there in verse 7, uh, it talks about these three that bear record. That number three plays a very significant role in Bible numerology. Uh, and numerology is just a fancy word for the study of numbers, is all that simply means. And you should know the Word of God is filled with important numbers. Everybody, of course, immediately thinks of the number seven. Uh, we, I've heard that as the God number, or the holy number, or the perfect number, or whatever it is. Um, but when you, you're studying things like this, especially numbers, uh, a lot of eschatology that we that we study and preach is based on these numbers, like in the book of Revelation. Eschatology is just the study of the end of times. That's just a fancy word for that that they teach in seminary. Um, that's like Daniel's 70th week. There's a lot of eschatology built around Daniel's 70th week. And, of course, the seven churches of Asia that's mentioned there in uh, first, second, and third uh, of Revelations. And the seven years of tribulation... Uh, which is taught, you know, further on in the book of Revelation, and uh, you know, so on. There's a lot of Bible numbers that are very important. Uh, the number three is is possibly the second most uh, mentioned number in the Bible. I believe the number seven is the most, but I I, I, I did not uh, look that up for reference or try to find that out uh, before this. But I do know it's many, many times. In fact, in our King James Bible, the number three is used 458 times. And that's a lot of times for a number to be used. 
And uh, the number three is much like the number seven uh, when it comes to rep- what it represents. And it means divine completeness or perfection is what that means. Now, it is used a few times where it does not apply for, for those things, uh, such as there's, there's uh, the three in, in the book of Revelation. You've got the, the beast and uh, you've got the, uh, uh, the man of the, the perdition. Um, you know, you've got, you've got the three there, the unholy trinity, so they're not perfect, of course. Uh, however, um, the number three, there's some familiar things that you probably immediately think of when you think of three, three days. That's usually what most people think of, like the three Hebrew children, Hananiah, uh, what is it, uh, Mishael and Azariah. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is what their names were changed to when they were in Babylonian captivity. But there were three Hebrew children. Uh, of course, you know, if you throw Daniel in there, there was four, but the Bible talks about the three Hebrew children. And then Daniel praying three times a day. We know that he went up there and, and opened up his window and toward the, the east there, and he prayed three times a day. Uh, Adam had three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Um, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Job had three daughters. There were three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We always think of those in threes. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how long? Three days and three nights. Jesus, as a boy, he was missing when they were coming back, and they were looking for him. How long was he missing? For three days. Uh, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness how many times? Three times. Uh, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times. That may be perhaps one of the most... Uh, remembered threes in the Bible. Uh, of course, Jesus was crucified in the third hour. Jesus arose in how many days? Three. That's probably the, the very most uh, thought of uh, number three in the Bible. And then uh, Paul was blinded for three days after on that road to Damascus when the Lord blinded him there. And uh, he was blind for three days. And we could go on and on and on examining all the instances in the Bible where the number three is mentioned. Uh, but not only do we find actually the number three mentioned, but we also find things that are in threes, groups of threes. Uh, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, uh, the Bible says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's songs, hymns written about that. Holy, Holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And so that's instance of a three that's there. And like I've often said, when you see things repeated in the Bible, God's trying to get our attention. So pay close attention when you see repetition. And these threes are important. First Samuel 3 and 8, uh, the Lord was calling Samuel, and the Bible says, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. So uh, that's another instances, instance of things being repeated when, when the Lord repeated calling him. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 44, uh, this was right before Jesus was betrayed and uh, was taken down and, and uh, crucified. As the Bible says, and he left them, and he went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Now remember, that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he told his disciples to sit here and wait and watch for him, and they kept falling asleep. Well, three times he went to check on them, and they were asleep. And so the third and final time was when he went and he prayed, and 
and then the next thing we know, uh, they came to take him. And so three, of course, is mentioned many other times, but we're not going to cover all those today. Uh, verse 7 of our text in 1 John 5 and 7, the Bible says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, these are really very important passages of Scripture, for in these we can verify the, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, while the word Trinity will not be found in your Bible, it's not in there. It's a word that's used to mean something, to reference something such as I told you about eschatology and numerology. Those words are not in the Bible either, but they're, they're Bible doctrine and it's teaching and studying of things in the Bible. Well, the Trinity is very similar to that. While the word is not there, the teaching in, of it is in the Bible. And uh, many false religions do not accept that. There's a lot of people today that are after the doctrine of the Trinity and claim that people like us, Baptists, uh, which are Trinitarians in most Baptist churches. Uh, there may be some that's not, I don't know. But I do know that uh, there's an attack on anybody that believes in the doctrine of the Trinity. And they claim, well, that's not even biblical. That's not in the Bible. It's not found in there. You won't find anywhere. There's only one God. And I'm not denying that. There is only one God. But he's God. He's three in one. These three are one, the Bible said. And so many... False religions don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, such as the Mormons, yeah, the friendly Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses, you know, come knock on your door. They don't believe in the Trinity. All you got to do is ask them about it, and they're, no, they don't believe that. Uh, Christian scientists, they don't believe that. Scientologists, Tom Cruise, don't believe in the Trinity, all right? <laughs> Unitarian Universalists, which believes everybody's going to be saved, and uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. Islam, they don't believe in the Trinity, and there's many, many other false religions that do not believe in the Trinity. And yes, those are false religions. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity simply means there's only one God, but he's made up of three distinct persons who exist in co-equal, co-eternal communion as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't have the diagram up here, but there's a really neat diagram that you'll find that has a circle here and here and here, and each one represents one of the persons of the triune Godhead. you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, as we like to say it in the Baptist Church. And so uh, that, that thing shows that no, uh, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, and, and the Holy Ghost is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Ghost, but all three together are one. And so I saw somebody else post something the other day that was pretty interesting. Uh, the analogy they used was a, a bottle of shampoo, or bottle of shampoo. And it was a shampoo that had conditioner in it and something else, uh, maybe a, a, a nutrient or something. And so they had the bottle of shampoo in the middle and said, this is shampoo. And it had over here conditioner and it had over here the nutrients. And it said, all three of these are shampoo. All together are shampoo, but they're all each individual parts of the shampoo. And so maybe that'll help you uh, think about it. I always use the paper analogy where you get a piece of paper rip it in three pieces and say, yes, there's three separate pieces, but it's all one piece of paper. You know, tape it back together. <laughs> but anyway, um, so all these are uh, they're persons who are, are distinct persons of the triune Godhead or the Trinity, and they exist in co-equal, co-eternal communion, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, we certainly find John writing down about all three members of the triune Godhead, 
And he declares that all three are one. First John 5 and 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, how do you, how do you cut around that? How does somebody say, no, they're not one? But wait a minute, the Bible says they're one. You're telling me the Bible's not right? All right, so John says there are three that bear record in heaven. Now, I'm glad to know that heaven keeps records because records that's kept down here are not very good. Uh, men can make mistakes, but God has a record book, and you can rest assured it is accurate and is very detailed. There's not a mistake in it. We make mistakes in keeping records. Sometimes we might be going over a bank statement, and you might have missed something, and it won't, it won't add up. And so you search and frantic and looking around because you've made a mistake. God doesn't make a mistake. The IRS can go and audit God's records at any time, and they're not going to find a mistake in his records or a discrepancy. Uh, well, wait a minute. I'll take that back. The IRS won't be in heaven because there's no <laughs> sin in heaven. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, so heaven's record book is triple-checked by the Father, the Word, and which is another name for the Son, the word we know that John wrote in John 1 and 14 and uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and so you've got God the father you got God the son and then the Holy Ghost uh, lastly all three of them agree because the Bible says they are one the bottle of shampoo is not going to disagree with itself is it God's not disagreeing with himself and so all three are one. And so what's good about all that? Why, why make such a big deal out of it? Well, everything is a big deal when it comes to all three of these being one. For example, God the Father. God loved us so much that he sent his only son here to die for us. He robed himself in flesh and became a man to identify with us. God, The Bible says God is a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. And so for men to see, actually lay eyes on God, he robed himself in flesh. In other words, he put on the, part, the, the flesh of man and, of course, was born here and uh, identified with man. And then God, the Son, the Word, the Bible called it there, the Word. Uh, he lived here on this earth, never ceasing to be God. He was still God, but he was the Son um, but he also never ceased to be man, and he was sinless. He's the only man to be able to live here on this earth and still remain sinless. The Bible says God cannot lie. Uh, we know that God can't sin. So Jesus Christ, in the form of a man, even though he was God, he still was able to be tempted, yet he never gave him the temptation because he's perfect. He's God. And, of course, God the Holy Ghost. He manifests himself within each believer to guide us. In, uh, and to comfort us, to teach us, and to seal us. The Bible says we're sealed uh, unto the day of redemption, and the Holy Spirit's the one that does that. He perfects us until we reach heaven. You remember when Jesus, uh, after he had that, uh, that last supper there with his disciples, and they went out, and he started explaining to them, I'm going to send you another comforter. He'll come in, in my place. He's going to come here to comfort you, to teach you, to guide you, to put you in remembrance of all these things, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us, convinces us we're lost, sinner, and, uh, and convinces us we need to be saved. So we come under conviction through the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I consider that all good things come in three. Now look at the next verse there. 1 John 5 and 8. It says, And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in ones. All right, so not only are there three that bear record in heaven, but also the Bible says that bear witness in earth. In earth. So both heaven and earth. So what's that mean? Well, remember John is talking about bearing witness or if you want to say testifying. So when you bear witness to something, that means you testify of what you saw. You personally saw it. So you testified of it. You bear witness of that. And so they are bearing witness to what they saw in Jesus Christ. And that's what this is all about. Everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. The entire Bible, from the beginning of the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, is a, uh, is, a, is a blood thread that runs all the way through there that points us to Jesus Christ. Everything in it is, is the purpose for that. In 1 John 5 and 8, John's telling us that the Spirit bears witness to the Son, the Jesus Christ. Uh, we would refer to that as the Gospel the gospel. The Spirit bears witness to the Son by convicting, convincing the lost sinner their need for a Savior. And so he points them to Christ. When you fell under conviction, realized you were a lost sinner, that was the Holy Spirit working within you and bearing witness here on this earth that you, as a sinner, he's convincing you you're lost, he's convicting you that you're a lost sinner, and then showing you toward Christ. That's leading you to Christ. That's what when the Father starts drawing. And the Holy Spirit is the one that starts uh, convicting you and convincing you of that. Uh, and uh, so he mentions the witness here of water. Now, these are some interesting things when you start seeing this water and blood. And there's so much back and forth over this. If you, if you start looking at all the theological positions of this and all these different commentators and, and uh, folks out there, there's so many different ideas of what the blood and the water is. And I'm going to give you a couple of them. And then I'm going to tell you the one that I lean toward. But he mentions the witness of the water. Now, this could be referring to the witness of, of the Father and the Spirit during the baptism of the Lord Jesus. Now, many people hold to that belief, and, and it possibly could be that. Uh, the, the water referring to the baptism of Jesus. And you remember that. Over Mark 1, 9 through 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days... But Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit, so here's the Spirit that's bearing witness, like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven, which would be God the Father, which is bearing witness, saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So in the baptism of Jesus, we have the witness of both the Father and the Holy Spirit, uh, so we could say the water baptism of, is the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, his messianic ministry, there when he was approximately 30 years old. And so when he was baptized, this was the beginning of his uh, earthly ministry. And then, of course, the blood would be referring to the end of his earthly ministry. So both the beginning and the end. So the, you have the water and you have the blood. And God the Father and the Holy Ghost bear witness on earth of this. And so that is one possibility of what this is. But there could be another meaning. Uh, these are, actually, these are the only two meanings that I believe could be 
possible. There's others out there that I'm, I'm not going to go into because they, there's so much of a stretch. But the other possible meaning of the water, when it's combined with the blood, of course, think about it in your head. When you think of water and blood mixed together, what do you think of? Well, I think of when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he shed his blood and then that soldier comes up and takes the sword and pushes it up into his side, gathers it in there, and the Bible says, and out came water. Listen to this, John 19, 31 through 37. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. And I'll stop right there for a second and explain this. The reason they're breaking their legs is so they could not push up on those spikes that were holding their feet to it and give relief off of being suffocated to death from hanging on that cross. And so when they broke their legs, they're no longer able to push themselves up. And as soon as they break their legs, they go down and they suffocate to death and die immediately. Jesus, they said, was already dead. And so they did not do that. Remember, there would not be a bone broken in him. The Bible prophesied. So this fits right into the prophecy. All right, now back verse 34 there. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he saw and went... And he that saw it bear record. And this record is true, and he knoweth that he saith that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierce. So, <clears throat> I'm really not smart enough to tell you dogmatically that this is what John's referring to, or if it's the baptism that he's referring to. Uh, however, I lean toward the second one there of the blood and the water from his side and the bearing record because this record was uh, saw on earth and the gospel writer John is the one that wrote this in 1 John and it seems like a connection because he mentions it bearing record here and in verse 35 it says, and he, saw, and he that saw it bear record and so... The soldier not only saw it, but God the Father would have seen it, and so would the Holy Ghost would have seen that. And both water and blood came from it. But what, whichever one it is, and you can decide on your own, uh, one thing's for sure, it's because of the blood he shed being a sacrifice for us that we can be saved. That's uh, the blood. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. It didn't say through his water. He said, through his blood, of bulls, uh, wait, uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I almost read a, a different verse there. Uh, but what, what I'm trying to get to here, for thousands of years, the Jews sacrificed animals to try to atone for their sins. And it was a temporary atonement. It was just a covering. It was not a complete forgiveness and no more remembered. It was a covering for their sin. And they did that for thousands of years. But listen, the Hebrew writer wrote this in Hebrews 10 and 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So it was just temporary. And by the way, those Old Testament sacrifices were all pointing to 
Jesus Christ to the coming of it. A shadow. He was there was a shadow of things to come. But thankfully, the Hebrew writer went on to say this in Hebrews ten twelve through eighteen. But this man, referring to the Lord Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So because of the blood that was shed by Jesus on Calvary, on the cross, we can be saved. Isn't that what it said there? It said, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. Now, I know it's by grace through faith you're saved. That's, that's the saving power of it. But it was because of the shedding of the blood that all this came to be about. So Jesus became our sacrifice. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and even those here on earth that saw this, uh, such as John the writer of the epistle, he he, bear, he bore record personally here on earth of all these things of Jesus. He was one of his closest companions. And so uh, the, the record of the blood that came from his side and the water that came from his side and the blood he shed for the remission of our sins, all these were, were testified of and bared record by God the Father, God the Son, and of course God the Holy Ghost. And so, uh, all these are one. And so the greatest three things that could ever happen to man, of course, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that enabled us to be saved. Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians 3, and we'll be finished. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Let's stop there for a second. And when it says you are all children of God, it don't mean everyone in this world is a child of God. It says all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So only people that have faith in Christ Jesus are considered the children of God, not anyone lost. I've heard people say we're all God's children. No, we are not. Only those that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is one of God's children. Verse 27, Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, all things come in threes, all good things. And these three, three things are one. These three are one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message this morning. I pray it's been helpful. Lord, Continue helping us as we try our best, Lord, to understand your word and be able to preach it and teach it, share it. God, we're praying for these requests that were mentioned before the, the message. Lord, uh, my mother, uh, our brother-in-law's sister, uh, Angela Bowman, uh, our missionaries. Uh, God, we, we're praying for all these folks today that need prayer. We know there's many others. We pray for those who are lost. Pray for that one that may hear this message, Lord, and, and is not saved. God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you'll convict them of their, their lostness and, and their sinful condition and convince them they need to be saved. Lord, help them today. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.